Welcome to Out of Game Episode 8. In today's episode, we'll have our first ever role-playing topic, where we discuss what makes a good Game Master. This is your host, Ryan. Join me and Chris as we go Out of Game. Welcome to episode eight of Out of Game. Welcome. So, as promised, this episode we are going to have our first ever role playing topic. Yeah, we were going to do this a couple episodes ago, and then we postponed it. Now we're circling back and addressing that. Yep. And so, what is that topic going to be, Chris? Role playing games. How to be a good DM, or what makes a good DM GM? Depending, it's system independent. Could be GURPS. Could be D and D. There's so many flavors of uh, brand, but essentially running the campaign. What does it take to be a good GM DM? Yep, and I think we have a lot to say about this. We do. So we're we're going to move into it fairly quickly. But first, let's talk a little about what we've been up to lately. What have we been up to lately? To, you know, I have to say, 2015, a good year. Yeah, already? it's a really good year. I mean, think about it. Even even some of the personal stuff aside, this podcast, look where we've come. True. We've had so much fun doing this, and we've had just great listener interaction with a lot of these questions. We had our contest giveaway last time, and it's going really well. But in addition to that, there's, there's a lot of other things going on, too. I mean, uh, let me talk about the William Shatner. <laughs> the William Shatner incident. Yeah, the William Shatner incident. So, you know, like... Most people who grew up watching Star Trek, a big fan of, of William Shatner's, and how, how can you not? He's an icon. He's got over a million Twitter followers. The guy is, you know, he's like a, a legend when it comes to TV. Yeah. I mean, for, for Star Trek and all the other stuff. For every nerd. Yeah. The it, nerd in me it just had a really, uh, <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what to call it, just a great, a great experience. Like a nerdgasm? A <laughs> nerdgasm, Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I follow William Shatner on Twitter and uh, along with other million people that do. And when Leonard Nimoy passed away recently, uh, he wasn't able to make the funeral. And so what he did was he got his Twitter audience and just said, you know, let, let's just remember Leonard in you know, some of the times and we'll just use the hashtag Leonard Nimoy. And we'll talk about it. And I actually got him to respond to my tweet. And it, it wasn't the biggest thing ever because other people obviously had him respond to their tweets too. But what was your oh t- what gosh. was your question? So originally, my question was going to be: uh, <clears throat> It's funny because my my goal was only half remembering Leonard Nimoy, and the other half was I want William Shatner to t- to tweet me back. Right? You know that was that was my motivation. So obviously, I was a huge fan of Leonard Nimoy too, not just for the Star Trek stuff, but you know his appearances on. Uh, on Big Bang Theory and, and the other stuff he's done. Just funny. I mean, uh, decent guy off camera, too. You don't you don't have a lot of that yeah. these days. But, yeah, so my, my original question was going to be, you know, what was something you learned from Leonard Nimoy? Okay. And I thought that would... That would be a good one to elicit a response. But just as I was typing it in, somebody else asked the question. Oh, wow. And he responded to it. So it, it shows that Whoa. I was onto something with that. So I said, dang it, I got to think of something else now. So I sat there thinking, and I said to myself, what would I want somebody to say if, if Ryan died? 
Like, what would they say to me to make me want to respond to them? Okay. Is that really what you thought? I, yeah, I was, I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking, you know, like, if I'm remembering a friend who passed away, what's a question somebody would ask me that's interesting? Because you should see. I mean, you can imagine on Twitter, there's a lot of senseless stuff, too. But, you know, some of it was interesting, but not respond-worthy. Yeah. And I wanted something that was actually interesting. So I said, um, you know, if Leonard were alive right now with this sort of – uh, audience, I can't remember exactly how I said it, but what, what would he say right now? If we were all listening and he were here, right here, right now, what would he say? Yeah. And he, he responded to it. And uh, I think his, Leonard Nimoy was a big anti-smoking guy. And so um, he went through a period of time where he smoked and then he quit and he was an advocate for quitting. And so William Shannon responded. He would say, don't smoke. Yeah. And it was like the coolest thing because my phone started lighting up. My, uh, my Twitter box started lighting up with all these notifications because when William Shatner tweets something, people, if it's good, if it's something interesting, people retweet it. And to this day, I mean, this was... It's like a week ago. Four weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still getting retweet notifications and favorite notifications on my phone and in thousands. It's it's in the thousands now, but it's fascinating how it's spiraled out. And then entertainment, or not entertainment, what was the magazine? People. Um, People magazine covered this. And, you know, with uh, Leonard Nimoy passing away and William Shatner doing the, the tweeting, and my tweet was... Featured on it was the magazine. it was the tw- it was the tweet that they actually quoted in the article was Chris's tweet yeah he was in like a People magazine article I know it was it was it was so it was the coolest thing woke up my inner nerd big time totally but yeah that was that was a fun thing what but, else has been going on well the angriest angel it's my book and I think uh, possibly because of the recent popularity that we've had with the book. Maybe we'll be doing a giveaway. I'll give away a couple copies to our listeners. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we could do that as a contest. But I've gotten, um, you know, some interesting endorsements. But uh, Joelle Charbonneau, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. It's a French last name. But she is a New York Times bestselling author for The Testing. It's a trilogy. Okay. Which they're actually considering making into a movie. It's, a, it's very big time. Hopefully that isn't secret knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's not because it's, it's on her website. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they... She, um, I, I won't explain how the connection happened, but a friend of mine at work, Amy, hooked me up with Joelle, who they were friends. And so now Joelle is helping me uh, with the agent process for Angriest Angel. So that that's a huge, huge find. Huge, another wow. celebrity um, find. So oh, That's awesome. Good yeah, luck. That was great. Yeah. And lastly, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we, we talk about our friend Dave quite a bit. And <laughs> okay. Kind of pick, and he's an interesting guy. Maybe we'll have him on the show one day. We, we should bring him in as a special guy. He has to listen first, though. <laughs> it, it tells you a lot about him. Yeah. I mean, he's what we would consider a pretty good friend. He's part of our gaming group. He's a big gamer, but he doesn't even listen to the podcast. Yeah, I have a friend, Kyle, who isn't even really a gamer, and he listens to the podcast because right. he's my friend. Right. What kind of friend are you, Dave? He, Come on. And, and he won't even hear this because he won't. Yeah, if you're but finally this. listening, then we apologize. Yeah. <laughs> he's sort of like a grumpy old man in a 30-year-old body. Yeah. Well, so, it might be the six children. It, that that has something to do with it. <laughs> so I, I began to realize as 2015, I've had a lot of things that are positive happen to me, including the book, Joel, William Shatner, Jacqueline from Survivor. As I'm bringing these things up to Dave, he, he doesn't celebrate them. He almost seems, you know, like he doesn't like that these are happening 
think these yeah. things are happening. You know, I'm not, I'm just like an average guy. So when a celebrity, when I have an opportunity like this, even William Shatner tweeting me, it's a big deal to me because I don't have big things happen to me like that. He's got Shatner envy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I detected that, you know, did you think that, you know, he tweets to everybody, you know, and the thing with, with Joelle, well, I don't, I've never heard of her book. And the thing with Jacqueline, you know, she could just be using you to build her website. You know, things things like this. You know, I need to talk to you about something, Dave. You confronted him? I confronted him. All and right. That, that's why this is even worth bringing up. Okay. It's not just you complaining. Would, right. No, it wouldn't be interesting okay. without this part. I, I said, I think I think you have a problem. I think, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm just a simple guy. And these things, they're, they mean a lot to me, even though they're, they're little things. And I think you're jealous. And I, and I really wish you would... You know, help me celebrate when something like this happens because you get your 15 minutes of fame and then you're forgotten. And it's nice to live in this moment a little bit. And I just, as my friend, I was hoping that you would appreciate this more. And 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 he he, he just said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to appreciate it more. I, I don't think I'm jealous at all. And I I think that everything that I've said to you is is spot on. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that was essentially it. So, so how yeah. serious was this conversation? Was this like a kind of half joking? It was over lunch, and it was kind of half joking. Okay, so it wasn't. He wasn't being malicious. We were kind of having fun with it. But yeah. when you confront somebody on something like this, it has to be done a little tongue in cheek, right? You know. But when you're joking around, there's always a little truth and jest. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, he is he is who he is, and that's kind of why we like him. He's a little bit yeah. like Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. It's like yeah. it's hard not to just like him, even though he's so weird and quirky. Yeah, because what's what's great about Dave just to put a positive spin on this is for every time he annoys us, it is hilarious to watch him like annoy other people (laughs) and like be on his side. And it's good to have him as your friend because he has these hilarious stories about just these jerk things that he's done. Like pay someone or like, for example, I think he told a story one time about uh, he went to the car wash and then all he had was change to tip some guy. And when he when he offered the guy, he like dug around his car to find change, right? So it was like this effort, quote unquote effort. And then the guy gave him this dirty look, and so Dave didn't give him the change, just to just to be a jerk, right? And he told him, "I'm never bringing my car here again." Just right? So you know, <laughs> so, like as if that would break the so guy's heart. So stuff like that is hilarious to be on his side when that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. So that you know, it's endearing. It, it, it is endearing. I mean. Yeah, what can you say about him? He is a lot of fun to have around, but he's he's an interesting. Guy. I think he would be a, a good uh, a good guest on the show sometime. Oh, definitely. I and I should point at something else out interesting about Dave. So this book that I mentioned that I wrote, The Angriest Angel, there is a character in there that I've modeled after Dave. Interesting. And he knows that I've modeled it after him. And I'll give you an example. The book. I won't go into too much about the book, but there, there's a character who's somewhat arrogant and. <laughs> To make a long story short, there are some aliens that are living here, and they look like us, they act like us, indistinguishable. And one of the, they, they tend to be a little bit haughty. And one of the characters in particular, his name is Nathan. He's the one of the alien characters. I've modeled almost exactly, not exactly, but taken a lot of Dave's qualities. And I'll give you an example. One story, similar to the car wash story that Dave told me, was how he went out to dinner with his wife and... It was a nice restaurant, and their anniversary, some some celebration, and and they the, the food came too quickly. Oh, I remember, remember the story. story. So, 
So he had the food sent back. It was the entrees came and he said, no, the food should be spaced apart by 20 minutes. I want my appetizer and then I want at least 20 minutes to pass before my main meal. And after that, 20 minutes before my dessert. And if, if you don't do that, you're not giving me the, the chance to enjoy myself for a nice evening out with pleasant conversation and nice wine. And so what I did when he told me that story, I wrote it down. Okay, And I said, do you mind if I use this in my book? <laughs> and so literally, I'm, I kid you not, in the book, there is a scene where Nathan does that. He sends the food back. Wow. Yeah, that, when he told me that story, that was, I've never heard anything it's like that. It's a Davism, and, and they're great. So I, so I started writing them down, and I got quite a few, and they're all in the book, so you can read a little bit about Nice. Uh, that makes me want to read even more. Yeah. <laughs> And for the record, I read Chris's first book, and he's a really good writer. And and I'm going to be straightforward, too. A lot of the DM talk later, I'm pretty much talking about Chris because he, he's the main DM that I've had because he's a great storyteller. Yeah, the RPG stuff, it's fun to talk about. I get, get a little jazzed up talking about that. So I'm looking forward to it. So um, so what's been going on with you, Ryan? Yeah, so the stuff that's going on with me is not nearly as, as cool or interesting. Mine's, it's probably gaming I'm related. bringing it back to games, okay, yeah. good. Um, you know, and, and one interesting tie-in, uh, you know what I do when I'm, when I'm opening games is I actually watch the original Star Trek on Netflix. Oh, wow. I like have it set up while I'm opening. And, That's a tradition? Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so I've been going through it, which is kind of timely because I never watched it before. But now I, I've watched more than half of it, so it actually affected me when, when Leonard Nimoy no, he died yeah. and the Shatner thing. Like, I never would have cared about that. Yeah, it's interesting. The show is so dated with the technology, yeah. but the storytelling is very good on the yeah, show. Yeah, it is. Um, so for me, I wanted to talk about a couple of games real quick that I played. One was the game Colt Express, which you may have, um, uh, listeners may have heard of. Uh, what's really cool about this game is the board for the game is actually a 3d train made out of like cardboard so you put it together and it, it goes in the box all the different cars but you set it up you set up this 3d train and that's the game board and then um it's a western theme and it, you're like train robbers so everyone's controlling uh train robbers so you have these you have a little dude that's going on the train and he can be on the, the floors of the train cars so he can go up to the roof of the train and you have um you have cards that represent what you're going to do on your turn so I played this with my parents and, uh, and my wife when my parents were visiting. But basically, it's, it's a programmable movement game. So you, another programmable movement game, which, is, which if you realize what this was, is Robo Rally. Yeah. Um, so there is a little bit of that element where what the other person does could mess up your turn. But oh, so you're not working together to rob the train. No, you're, oh, you're okay. trying to get the most money of I any gotcha. of the train okay. robbers. Um, but... The difference between this and Robo Rally is you, you're not like out of the game. Like when if your turn gets messed up, you just have one short round might be messed up. So it's not nearly as bad as as Robo Rally when that as far as that goes, and it's a way quicker game. But anyway, so um, what you do is you, at the beginning of every round, you flip over a card, and it tells you how many cards you're going to get to play uh, during that round. So you might everyone might get uh, four chances to play a card, and these cards represent movements like. I'm going to either move forward uh, a certain amount of spaces, or I'm going to climb to the roof, or I'm going to pick up loot, or I'm going to punch uh, one of the other train robbers, or I'm going to shoot someone. Like those are like the main ones. So you're going around like like my mom will play a card, and then my dad, and so I can see what they're doing with their characters, and I have to try to visualize it 
on the train. Like, okay, she's going to move and then he's going to do this. And so then I do what my guy is going to do. And I'm trying, you're trying to remember um, all the different steps that everyone's doing oh and track what your guy does, which, you know, might be hard, hard for, for yeah. some people. Um, but anyways, but it's really quick. And then after you've played everything, you just, you just play it out. One person flips over the cards and you play out all the movement and then you go to the next round. And then at the end, uh, of the of the game, you see who has the most money. So it's it's like a twenty minute game, but it was really fun. This is a really fun family game, and the and the three D train is really unique. I have to show this game to you. This would even be a good like filler game sometime if we're in between games and like waiting for someone to finish up. Yeah, like we could whip this out and play it in twenty minutes. It's real easy to learn, uh, and it's it's quick and it, and it's fun and it has a good theme. And they went out of their way to make like um like little cactus uh, pieces. Uh, to put next to the the train and, and other different pieces and stuff that you don't even need, but they just uh, you just put them around and it just makes it look even cooler. So that was Colt Express and uh, another game. So I think I've mentioned before my favorite designer is Uwe Rosenberg, designer of Agricola, Caverna, Lahav, at the Gates of Loyang. These are all like top games of of mine. Or in Labora. Um, so he released this two player game called Patchwork. Um, so do you like the game Tetris by any chance? Yeah. It's like it's, the original. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like, I don't want to call it Tetris, the board game, but you have all these Tetris like pieces. And what you're doing is you're, you're choosing pieces to put and you're making a quilt, which sounds girly, Okay. but, but you're, you're like, you have to piece them together like a puzzle and you're trying to fill all the spaces on your quilt. So you go around, um, uh, like, there'll be you put every single piece out in a circle and then you have this pawn and then on your turn you get to choose one of the next three pieces after the pawn and all these pieces are all different cement like different shapes you know that could you could puzzle together so you pick your piece and you put it on and then uh, based on the piece you're going to get a certain amount of income and then you're going to move a certain amount of spaces on the time track and then it it, um, you kind of just keep going around doing this. this is a really quick description but essentially you're just trying to use all these really unique pieces to fill up your, your board. And at the end um, you get points uh, based on certain things and you get negative points for all the spaces you didn't fill. This guy designs amazing games. That's why I wanted to talk about this game. Like he has all these very complex games uh, that you can play with gamers. And then he has games like this, uh, which is like a perfect game to play like with your spouse. Like it took, three minutes to just explain the rules of the game. Nice. And then we're playing the game and like, I just want to play this game again. Like after I play it, it's just that fun of a game. So I just want to give props to, to Uwe Rosenberg for just being a great game designer. Uh, and then wanted to mention that I'm going to be, uh, at BGG con this year. So if you're going to be at uh, BGG con, where's that? This is in Dallas, Texas. It's the week before Thanksgiving. Um, I know my friend, my friend Clifford and I are going. Clifford listens to the show too, and uh, we're going to be there Wednesday through Sunday. So uh, come try to find me. I will have a on my badge. It will say "out of game," and I'll have like a little press ribbon. Um, but you can come up and find me and ask me what Sauce Boss means. <laughs> right. Uh, and then there's. Something that I wanted to talk about real quick, which is a challenge on Board Game Geek called the 100 by 1 Challenge, which fits perfectly with my New Year's resolution of trying to uh, get my magic number below 20. 
So this challenge is in the year 2015 to play a hundred different games one time each. It's right up your alley. Yeah, it's perfect. So you should go out and try to find this challenge if you're interested in doing it. I joined this and so far I've done 20, which is pretty good. So I'm 20 in which, but it's not quite on track. You know, it's close though. Yeah, it's close. So I have more to play, but the 100 by 1 challenge, it's an interesting thing to, to do on BoardGameGeek uh, if you want to. That's all I had. What about your magic number? Uh, so what? I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. My magic number hasn't gone up much since last episode, but I'm going to say that my magic number for episode 9 is going to be 39. Okay, 39. 39. I'm going to crack into the 30s. Trending the right direction. Yeah, it's it, good. it has been going down. It's 43 last time. Yeah, and uh, like I said, it hasn't, gone, hasn't changed much, but I'm going for 39 by episode 9. I think I can do it. I think you can do it. I think I can do it. All right, let's move on to a listener question. So this question for this episode comes from Runner-up from our contest last episode, L. Coffee, a.k.a. The Toaster. Hope you like that nickname we gave you, Lance. Um, So the question is, and I'm going to read it verbatim. Lance says, you really like a certain game, which I will not name. Are there variables, pieces, game mechanisms that you find in other games that make those other games more enjoyable to you? I'm not thinking of another game like Resistance or Avalon, but something that might be considered a more standard board game, but includes items from the game that will go unsaid that make it that much more enjoyable. Also, which board games incorporate it best? Excellent question. It is a good question. So basically he's asking what as- what of the aspects of these of the werewolf type games that exist in other board games right. that we like. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I, I really like the dual goal concept. So in One Night Ultimate Werewolf, you, you're given a card, and that is a role that you have, and you have, a, you have to complete uh, one or the other thing based on who that role is. And in some of the social games, your identity, the identity card dictates that. So games that tend to have those dual roles are games. That, that's a mechanic that I like. Yeah. That's one example. So um, one that I like, well, obviously, I think the the one that needs to be said is the hidden traitor, right? Um, and then that kind of goes in with the dual goals, I guess. But uh, you know, obviously, right, that's really what I what I meant. Okay, yeah. So I think one another thing that I like is I love the social element. So uh, any board game that can get you talking and communicating and negotiating and uh, you know trying to convince someone to do something one way or another way. You know, those are all elements of these types of games that I think are great in board games. Right. I actually had almost the exact thing written down. Games that uh, kind of foster passion. So you're you're playing and you're you're just into it. You're not just kicking back and flipping a card every turn and being quiet. You're you're kind of engaged into right. the game. Those mechanics like uh, even like Cosmic Encounter, we 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 played that game recently, Cyclades. Yeah. And even Tokyo. King of Tokyo is a very simple game, but sometimes you can the the random element gets you so into it, like, you know, all of a sudden you'll hear from the other table, Oh yeah. you know, and you don't know what just happened. But they're so into the story that they're building in the game. Right. Or you might be trying to fun. convince someone to go for it. Like exactly. go for the claws so you can kill Dave. Right. <laughs> Something like that. Because that's always worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So any game that yeah, any game that gets you 
connecting as a group. And I think where this really uh, is important, and one thing that makes uh, these games great is you, it's even fun with strangers. Right. So a game like uh, Werewolf, one great thing about that is you can play. With, it's actually more fun to play it's with better with, with people you don't know. That's one of the reasons we enjoyed at Gen Con. Yeah, because you're playing with people you don't know. It's harder to read and harder to figure out what's happening. Right. So any game that can that forces you to kind of negotiate, like Cosmic Encounter, I think he, he asked which games do it best. I think like the negotiation part. I think Cosmic Encounter is is spot on with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another aspect too. This is probably the last one that that I I wrote down for for this question is games that leave a story. Yeah. So whether you're metagaming afterward, you're you're dissecting what just happened or you're reliving it even months later. Do you remember the time that, you know, when Megan was the spy and that one, the epic game? I think you missed that game. But I'll never forget that game. The game when I was able to get Nathan to drop an F-bomb, which he would never normally do. Because I came out as the spy in Camelot and kind of betrayed the group. Th- those are those are like epic games. They they live they live on via their story that they tell. And I I love that mechanic in a game. Yeah. So of games that do it best, what what would you say are some games that that use these mechanisms the best? Well, clearly the games that he wouldn't name in the question do. I mean the social games, right? You know the game. Well, what board games though? Look, so well, I think, the game that we gave away, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, did it very well. Yeah, it encompassed a lot of these traits. So I think his question though is like a more. What are some more traditional, like traditional games? Board games. I, I think Dead of Winter would. Yeah, that, that's a, that encompasses almost every one of those aspects. Yeah, I think those are. I think those are obvious ones, especially most of the aspects come into those games: Shadows Over Camelot, Dead of Winter, Battlestar Galactica. Um, you know, we mentioned Cosmic Encounter. Uh, you know, any game that that really can get you talking as a group, no matter who's in the group. Um, you know, and actually, party games are a good example of this too. Any type of party game, like Telestrations, this that would be a perfect game that incorporates this. Have you ever played Telestrations? No. I think another game for another name for it, because this is a public domain game, was like um, Eat Poop You Cat. But it's it's like okay, Telestrations is like telephone withdrawing. This game is a blast. So uh, everyone, there's a the version that is out called Telestrations. Everyone has a it's like a whiteboard. It's like a flipboard of whiteboards. Sorry, not explaining this well. But basically, what you do is you start with a phrase, and you can think up the phrase, or you can use the phrase from the game. So everyone writes down the phrase on the first whiteboard, and then you flip it over and you pass it to the person on your left. So they read it, and then they they draw it. Okay, so you're gonna get one from the person on your right, and you have to draw it, and then you only have like a minute to draw it, and then you pass your drawing to the left. So then then you get this drawing from someone, and you look at the drawing, and then you try to write what the phrase is that that drawing represents, and then you pass it, and then it just keeps flipping like that. You draw, and then you write what it is, and then you draw, and then you go all the way around the circle. And then you get your original flipboard back, and then everyone just takes turns. They'll read their original phrase, and they'll show the the, the drawing, which is usually like this crappy drawing. And then you flip it, and you read what someone's interpretation of it was, and then you show the new drawing, and it's hilarious. And no matter who you're playing with, doesn't matter how good you are at drawing, doesn't matter anything. It's it's a blast, and it gets and you and you want to talk about it afterwards. Like you want to take pictures of the board and like post it on your Facebook because it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's a good example. So of that. I think a lot of party games, I think maybe would fit. Yeah, this it's under too. underrated in that aspect. Yeah, 
So, uh, L Coffee, Lance, the toaster, we hope, uh, we hope that answered your question. So I think it's time to move on to our discussion topic. We have a big topic tonight, our first role-playing topic. There are, there are seven ogres surrounding you. How could they surround us? I had Morton Kaiden's magical watchdog cast. No, you didn't. I'm getting drunk. Are there any girls there? I totally did. You asked me if I wanted any equipment before this adventure, and I said no. But I need material components for all my spells. So I cast Morton Kaiden's faithful watchdog. But you never actually cast it. Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk. <sighs> Yeah, you are. Are there any girls there? Yeah. I did, though. I completely said when you asked me. No, you didn't. You didn't actually say that you were casting the spell. So now there's ogres, okay? Ogres? Man, I got an ogre slaying knife. Yeah, any fans of RPGs out there, even if you've never played an RPG but have kind of wondered what it would be like, this is this is for you. It's uh, There's so much to talk about when it comes to role-playing games and uh, what makes a good game both as a player and a GM. And uh, so many stories to tell on that front. I mean, we Ryan and I both played for years, and so we have a lot of experience with this. And we we think that there's that we have a lot to offer with this because when, when we played, it was very different. We we had a very different style, but it was addictive. People that joined our group didn't want to leave. Yeah, uh, we really we we did a good job making it fun for everybody in the group, and yeah. I think that's the key to a good role playing game. Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about what makes a good DM or dungeon master, game master. Um, and I've played in like convention games. I've played in, um, I've played in a lot of different scenarios. And so uh, I'm coming probably from more of a perspective as a player because I've been a DM, but I prefer being a player. So all of my kind of comments are probably going to be from a player's perspective. Whereas I think maybe yours, Chris, might be coming more from someone who is a DM. Right. I've, I've, I've been a player for years too, but most of my years playing role-playing games have been as a DM, you know, running the game. And I think that's where my strange mind is actually an advantage where uh, my impatience and that, the, the energy is kind of channeled into running this world and controlling all these NPCs and wh- who's doing what. And uh, of the players that are, that are sitting around the table, what is each one of those characters um, what do they have going on in their in their active story and in their passive story all simultaneously it's like all churning and when you do it right it's it's a lot of fun for everybody because they all have uh, choices to make in the game that affect the whole world right. that you're building so let's start with you chris what what is one thing that you had uh, as a good what makes a good dm so gosh where to begin i think the most important thing is preparation so every, everybody has different levels of how organized they are. I'm, I'm not organized at all. I'm the least organized person, but you can still be prepared. You can make notes. I, have, I just open up an Excel spreadsheet, and I have just a jumble there, but it's, it, it's organized in a way that my mind can understand it. And you need, to know, you need to know your world inside and out. You need to know what's happening in every town on the map. Okay. You know, just from a high level. It doesn't have to be from a micro level. But if those players happen to go to an area in your world that you weren't prepared for, you need to you need to have a general idea of what's going on there so you're not caught off guard. Because if you don't do that, then you end up forcing the group to do something they don't want to do. You're kind of turning it into a linear game. Yeah. And the number one thing that you have to do in a good role-playing game 
no matter what the system is, GURPS, D&D, whatever it may be, is it can't be linear. It's got to be more of a sandbox style, open, where they can do whatever they want within reason, right. you know, with, that the rules allow. But if they want to, they, they don't want to do your main mission that you threw their way. They, they would rather go to the tavern, have a drink, and do nothing. Yeah. You need to let them do that. Yeah. You know, if they want to go to the castle where people aren't allowed to go unless you're nobility, but they just want to. Right. Let them do it. And then if they need to be thrown in jail for the way they act or if they've broken in, then you can resolve it with the dice or whatever. But don't force them to do something they don't want to do. Right. And I I had something very similar written down, which is, like you mentioned, a sandbox world, but there's still some direction. I don't. I don't think it'd be good to have a complete sandbox where you didn't give them any hint as to what they're supposed to be doing. So what I think what a good DM does is they drop hints or drop maybe little missions or like an NPC might, might approach them with some problem that he needs solved Yeah, and they can do it or they can not do it. It's, it's up to them, but there's something there for them to do if they want to do it. Right. We had this exact thing happen in Elorian yeah. where, it was a kind of a complex world that I threw together with a lot. There was a lot of stuff going on. It was a very harsh world, but there was no main quest. Right. And the players got very frustrated. It ended up not working out. And Ryan's exactly right. You can have an open world, but there should be the main, like uh, the main quest line, for lack of a better word, the main mission, and then like side missions and just throw them out there and let them do what they want. But if they don't hook on to the main thread what you do is you can accelerate it by having you know for example uh, we've had this happen too where an evil dragon comes to the realm and and it's form human form and takes over diplomatically yeah slowly and for a while the group didn't want to do anything about it they just kind of allowed it to happen because they were focused on a lot of side things and so what you do is you turn the heat up a little bit that the people are looking for somebody to bail them out. Yeah. And more and more of that happens. Finally, they wake up and, and say, hey, we got to do something about this. Yep. So that's one way to do it there. Yep. And, and I think part of this is the DM can't hold on to information too tightly. There has to be some level of letting the players have enough information for them to kind of figure out what they need to do. And I think sometimes... Uh, the DM may try to hold on to it too tightly because they may not be ready for them to to conquer that issue yet. So they right. don't want to let out too much information. Right. So so you have to, I think part of that then is the DM needs to know kind of what's next. Yes. So that he can release information or he or she can release information so the players can start moving. That's exactly right. And that was something in the, the successful campaigns that we've had, that was always done well. Uh, when that's not done well, it goes to the preparation. You know, you need to you need to know a few steps ahead. Um, for example, uh, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but maybe this isn't a good example. But do you remember there was a time when one of Ryan's characters he didn't like he didn't like one of the NPCs, and the NPC happened to have this gigantic and he had a mole, a big mole on his face. <laughs> right. And so one of the things Ryan's character wanted to do is he wanted to cut the mole off, even though this guy was very, he was a little, probably a little more powerful, but maybe not. Maybe it was, it was something that a normal person wouldn't want to do, but it was something that was making the game fun for you. You wanted your character to do that. And it, there's a lot of backstory to, to this, but, but to your point, a lot of times what will happen is the GM DM will 
they, they just, well, let's steer clear of that. And he'll, he'll curb you from, let's just do, let's, that's silly. Yeah. You know, focus on the mission, focus on the, the, the objective and the drive. And, and then, you know, um, he wouldn't let Ryan's character even do that. But in the game that I was running, you know, you, you had plenty of things to do that you didn't have time to worry about this guy with his mall, but you were obsessed with wanting to cut it off. So what you did was you found you, some, some, another NPC who owed you a favor or he, he offered to do something for you so that you didn't, your character would like release him. There was some, something you had over him and you said, here's what I want you to do. Yeah. I want you to go find this guy. His name is Brogan. And I want you to do, to take a dagger and cut his mole off and bring it to me. <laughs> and, and then I'll, you know, then we'll call it even. And so a good DM, even though that makes no sense and has no relevance on anything with the storyline, it's fun for the players to be able to, do something that they could, in theory, do in real life. I mean, you could do something like that in real life. You can't make them not do it. So long story short, the the guy completed his mission. <laughs> and I think out of game, you were surprised yeah. that that happened. Yeah. But you, it's, it's a matter of moving on. Like, I'll just allow that to go on. Now this interesting, quirky NPC with the mole is not interesting and quirky anymore. Right. He just has maybe a scar or something there. But... You know, there's a thousand more things that you can come up with. So, you know, you can't be afraid to let things resolve that you're not planning on having resolved yet. Yeah, and I have a I have a perfect example of a time when when I actually was a DM at a at a convention, and I I did this wrong, and I've regretted it to this day. Even though the people that played in my game are never going to play in any game I run again because this is a one time thing at a convention. But what happened was is um. I had this character who was a princess, and the princess... Wait, wait, wait. What? No, I was a DM. Okay. So there was an NPC that was a princess, but that character was actually used to be my wife, my wife's character, and then I... Because my wife played for a while with me, just I just this was a campaign. A it was a campaign, campaign. yeah. So I I converted her character into an NPC. Gotcha. And then I was running this uh, game at a convention, and I had uh, what happened was the group ended up in this town and uh, I had, they, they, they approached this NPC, but what they didn't know was that um, the princess was actually there with this NPC, but she was invisible, but I didn't have her. She wasn't supposed to be part of the story of that night, that campaign that we were doing at the convention, but she had, she was there because the person that they were confronting was integral with her story, but I had her invisible. Well, I didn't expect anything to happen, but some guy asked, he wanted to make a perception roll and he made a, a critical, critical success. So he heard, he heard something. I had him hear like there was another person there and he would not let it go. So then he started like trying to reach around and he was doing all this stuff where he should have been able to find her, but I was not prepared for anything with her character and I wasn't able to think on the seat of my pants. So I just didn't let him find her. And, I, and afterwards, he, he even emailed me afterwards and asked me about it because he was so curious yeah. about it. And yeah. it was like I totally ruined this moment this guy would have had because he made a critical success. I should have just figured something out. But I was too like scared to like screw up like the storyline with this character. And so that's an example of what not to do. Right. I've been in that situation a million times with you guys, yeah. with, with our old group, where you would do something off the wall and figure something out that you weren't supposed to yet. But I don't think, at least, you know, from what I remember, I never did that, I th- where, where you, you would be forced away from it. Right. I think the worst example of this was some rift opened 
one time and I rolled a critical success and dove through it. And it took me to like this other plane. And, and I remember you were like, you, I think you had to pause the game for yes. a minute and look up your notes. Cause you just, it was like, so I like fast forwarded something that was supposed to happen like months yes, later. That's exactly right. And, and maybe in hindsight, that's what you could have done with the princess scene is pause the game. Yeah. Just, I need five minutes. And, and that would have actually made it really interesting to them. Cause I remember when you were doing that, I was like, Oh man, I'm like onto something here. Like yeah. you had to pause the game. Yeah. And, and, I, and that scene was still great. You were able to, and this goes back to what you were saying about knowing what's happening in every town, even though you didn't have specifically some some adventure prepared for that area you still had an idea what was going on there so with five minutes of like preparation time you were able to play out that whole scene with my character even though you weren't ready for it just because you knew the world right right and one of the other things that helps with that and it's another one of the other elements i have that's very important is to keep keep a few things in your back pocket as the dm so uh, these are things that you're not ever planning on releasing, you know, whether it's a interesting NPC or let's use Ryan's example, a gateway to some other world or a book with a page that's in all black and you have no idea what that means. You know, a thousand different weird things like that. Okay. Just have them in your back pocket and never use them. Then when this kind of thing comes up, you pull up from that pocket and say, uh, "I'm going to I'm going to use this now because okay. I'm I'm in a bind and I need something really interesting." And you do still need the five minutes sometimes to tie it to something else that is really going on. Yeah, and and it usually works well because then after that scene and that session is over with, you can kind of rec- collect your thoughts and say, "Okay, so now this is this is how I'm weaving this into the storyline now." But it just goes to how important it is not to be too controlling and to, to be as nonlinear as possible. Right. So, like, for example, your, what you mentioned about a page, a black page in a book. If you had something specifically that you needed that book to be in, then you couldn't use that in another scene. Right. Right. But, you're, but I think what you're saying is you just have that as something that you could tie into anything if you right. needed to. Right. It's a more complex example of the names problem. So... In my campaigns, we have literally hundreds of names. Like when these campaigns end, we have Word documents that are just massive of yeah. the, the, char- the NPCs that we've just run into and defined over the years. So one of the things I do is, you know, of course, there's characters, there's NPCs who you know their names, you know generally what they're doing, you know generally where they are on the map and things like that. But you need to have a list of names. Yeah. That aren't tied to anything. Yeah. It's just like the example I just gave, except with names. It's because, you know, out of the blue, you know, you want to buy a new uh, a weapon. So your character walks to the weaponry, and instead of buying a weapon, you ask the owner what his name is. Right. I don't know who this guy's name is. He's not important. <laughs> but because you're asking that, yeah. I have to honor that question. Right. Is It's my job to not say, well, he just tells you some name. I'm going to go to my list and find like the worst name on my list because I don't really care that much about this guy. Right. And I'm going to say, you know, his name is Maven or whatever. Right. And and now you're you might start asking him about his backstory. Yeah. And but at that point he just doesn't want to tell you. He's yeah. like, you know, this is a little personal. I don't think I want to get into that with you right now. Something like that to keep the realism there. Have that names list, but it goes to the same thing with a magic items list. You know, yeah. there's sometimes you guys might wind up 
uh, either uh, killing or robbing somebody that's important. <laughs> like that store owner. <laughs> yeah, like the store owner. And he may, David. you know, I don't have it planned what sort of treasure this guy has, you know, in his upstairs. But he would probably have something. So, you know, have like a magic items list just kind of sitting there. And you're, you're, you're not planning on using that, that list. But that, that applies to missions, people, names, magic items, weird stuff. Random encounters. Random encounters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the random encounters is a big one, too. You can't plan for random encounters as the DM. You know, between sessions, you can't say, okay, this is going to be their first random encounter. This is, It's not really random then. Right. You know, I like to just have a bunch of crazy stuff just written down somewhere. Then if you're on watch and you make a bad roll, something happens and I pick something from that list based on the circumstances there. You can't plan that stuff out. Right. If you plan it out, it, it's not fun for the for the players. So here's what's great about what you're saying as a player is when when you have a DM that's able to do all this stuff. As the player, you always feel like everything that you've done in the game was part of the original plan, and it's because of what Chris is saying that the DM is able to weave these these what used to be kind of just random elements he had in a list, he's able to weave them into the story because of the the situation that the players are in. But as the player, you don't know that, like I wouldn't know that Chris was doing that. I would just feel like, like he had it planned. Now the names list was always obvious. Like you were just giving them right. names, but right. And I just interrupt. Sorry, but, the, but that didn't happen a lot. The name list. No, the names list did the other stuff that you're, that we're talking about. That was few and far between. Like okay. a, the five-minute pause was a good example. Uh, for the most part, maybe with the magic items list, but like the random encounters, I would, I knew my world really well, and so I would know, you know, to expose X, Y, Z, or ABC at a, at a given time. But if you guys got too far ahead, I I always had enough there. Yeah. And the feeling that you had that you were part of the game and that you're shaping the world is another point that's very important, and that is you have to give the players freedom to change the world by their actions. And we kind of touched on this a minute ago, but, you know, in between sessions, I have to factor in everything that you guys did and continue to let my world evolve with those things in mind. Mm -hmm. So you can't, the DM, you can't fall in love with anything in your game, (laughs) at least too much. You have to be willing to let it go. You know, whether there's like a really cool NPC that you want to be a villain and you just don't want him to die because you want to keep this this arch nemesis thing going. If they figure out a way to take him down, you have to let them do that. Yeah. And you have to be okay with it. I mean, worst case, you know, and we've done this before, there's a resurrection spells or they had a brother or something like that. You could you could still do that. But uh, but not becoming too attached to elements of the world whether it's um you know, a physical thing like a weapon or a person or even a concept. Like yeah. if there was a, a concept of a, a particular family that's very powerful in the town, you know, and something happens to them, you have to be willing to let them go. And, yeah. you know, it's the beauty of, of, of creativity. If something is taken down by the players, you can create something new. Yeah. So that, that makes it easier to let go. And I think uh, I kind of how I picture this is, you shouldn't have linchpins in your in your story. And what I mean by that, so what you're saying, if you have an NPC and your entire story for the next few months is based on some particular thing with this NPC, 
that NPC is a linchpin to the story. If we kill him, then we've just eliminated like months of content that you had. Right. So I think you can't you can't be tied so much to something that it creates a linchpin in your story. You can't have like a magic item that is the only way to fe- to defeat an enemy, and then that magic item you know gets cut in a bag of holding and, right. and goes away. You know what I mean? Right. Linchpin's a good it's a good way to put it. You really can't rely on that. And if you do fall into the trap of relying on it, you have to be okay with the whole thing falling apart. That works in reverse too, where you may have a plan for who who's gonna be like the main arch enemy and they don't kill that guy. Right. But what happens is somebody else becomes a bigger arch enemy through no fault of anybody's except that's the way the game evolved and the perfect example is Jadu. Yeah. So there's there's this character that I came up with. I thought We're it was coming very, for you, Jadu. <laughs> it's a very interesting idea of having a, a, a spellcaster who hated magic. He was like almost <laughs> self-loathing. Like he thought that all magic was evil and just casting spells was an evil act and he wanted to abolish magic. But the irony, of course, is that's what he does. He's, he's a, he's a spellcaster. So... You know, he was just an interesting guy right. who became this legendary arch nemesis yeah. for years. We still hate him. To this day. <laughs> I mean, that was 10 years ago. I hate Jadu. So, yeah, th- that's an example of somebody who can grow into the status who you don't even intend. You, you have to kind of let that evolve that way, too. More about Jadu real quick. Jadu was the court mage also of the kingdom that we were in. Right. And it was my character who exposed him. Right, and that that's a good example too. So this Jadu character, he was he was the court mage of the of the kingdom. And he was part of a secret group that he led. Right. That was it was almost like a cult that was against magic and they they sought to abolish all magic. Even as strange of a thing as that sounds in a world of magic. So he, nobody was supposed to know who that was and then even when you guys were suspicious that he was involved in it, your Ryan's character happened to break into Jadu's room, and I think you found evidence yeah. of who he was. It was and a I, secret room underneath the. He was making the Solar's potions. He was there. making potions down there that make, gave you an immunity to magic. Right. And, and I didn't want you to know that yet, and to find the evidence. <laughs> but Ryan's character um, was cleverly figured it out. I had to let that happen. And so what ended up happening, he couldn't be the court mage anymore because Ryan's character turned turned in the evidence. Right. And it led to weeks that I was not prepared for where Jada was on the run now. I, I wasn't planning on that happening, but you have to roll with it. And yeah. it ended up being fun. I yeah. Think, and everybody. then what an, an interesting uh, path that that led to is one of the members of our party ended up becoming the new court mage. Yeah, way, way down the road, but yeah. So it, it introduced like a new storyline where we now had this in with the king, which we, we kind of had already had, but now we're like, we had an official member of our group like working for the king, right. uh, which was, was kind of an interesting um, side effect of, of that, what happened. Yeah, Jadu, uh, and, and I think uh, you're mentioning, and, and I wanted to touch on this too, is these random things that at times they seem random, like Maven, the store owner. There's times where you would have someone like that, and then we would just keep pressing the guy, pressing the guy, and then something would happen, and then suddenly this guy is now interesting. Like Maven, you know, like like if I snuck into Maven's, like uh, his secret room and I stole something, which is something my character would have done as a rogue, then suddenly now Maven is like an enemy of ours. 
just this no-name putts that Chris picked the worst name from the name list. Yeah, you know, because of because of letting the players do what they what they what they want to do and just letting it resolve. Not only is it fun for the player to get to do what they want, but it it sometimes creates content for the DM. Right, it does. And if they can run with that, it just gives them um, limitless stuff that they can throw at the characters. Right, and to be fair, one thing I want to point out, I wasn't necessarily letting everybody run around doing whatever they wanted. (laughs) There was rules in place. I mean, things like, like physics and economics, the magic rules, the dice, all that stuff has to be respected. So... It wasn't just like they could do whatever they want. I don't want to give that impression because there are campaigns that do that too, where they just give everything away. Oh. Tons of magic items. Characters can do whatever they wanted. Right. It's more like it's more like um almost like a choose your own adventure in a way. Yeah. Where because the the DM knows the whole world, they know all the towns, they know all the NPCs. Um, no matter what you go and do, something interesting is going to happen. So that's kind of what I mean by do whatever you want. It's you're, it's up to the players to go to wherever they where they want in the world. Like if we decide we just want to up and leave and go to the next town, like we can do that. You're not most of the time you're not going to stop us. But what what he'll what will happen is that journey from one town to the other will just be a pain. Like it, it'll be it'll be so annoying because traveling is annoying. You have all these NPCs on the road; they're always stopping you. There'll be some some moron trolls asking for a, a road tax, or just some just you know just stuff like that. So, you know, you can go do that, but you know, after a while, you you start to figure out that it's going to be annoying if you just want to up and leave and, and go to another town. Right. That, that that was a big obstacle. Yeah. With you guys, with the gaming group we had, there was a lot of individuals. Yeah. In the group. Yeah. So. You know, and part of that is my fault as the DM because when you start making interesting storylines for people, they want to explore them instead of the main quest. So, for example, you know, one of the other players, he kind of he had sort of a romantic uh, situation going on with the princess and uh, a couple different princesses actually. <laughs> and then Ryan's character kind of started horning in on one of them, <laughs> just and, to annoy the player. Yeah, but but. You know, and then um, Phil and some of the other guys, they, they had everybody had different things going on with their backstory, or not even necessarily backstory, but front story. So, actions that were taken by specific NPCs against these players or toward the NPCs created individual stories within the big story. Right. And that is fun too, but it led to a lot of individual play. Yeah. And that. If I could do that again, I'd rein some of that in. But you have to allow people to have their own storyline, and in addition to the big picture. Yeah, and this goes to one thing that I had listed, which is the ability to keep all the players involved. And th- what you're mentioning is one of the ways that that a good DM can do that is uh, each each character has an individual storyline uh, that can be played out. I think the key there is to not let them play out their story by themselves for too long so there might be a like a a time limit formal or informal about how much time you know you can spend on your own personal storyline before we kind of move back to the rest of the group Um, but another thing that i wanted that ties into this which i which i wrote down was um, at the beginning of a campaign i personally like to create like a character history and give it to the dm now my expectation when I do that is 
that the DM will somehow tie my story into the main storyline. And I think a good DM can do that. So, and something that Chris used to do is he would reward us with experience or in GURPS, we would get like extra points. I think if we submitted a backstory, because it would give him content and we would do it obviously, you know, a week or two before the campaign started and give, give him time to somehow tie it in. And so, you know, our campaign sometimes would last for years, but those original backstories would somehow be tied into the, an integral part of the main storyline. Like I remember, so my character, <laughs> um, my, my, one of my favorite characters, Ramesai, like I wrote this elaborate backstory about how he was like the, the spawn of this demon. And, and I, and I, and I named the demon and I, and I even wrote this like poem about how when the full moon turned blood red, that, that basically the, this, uh, this demon would come back for, for Ramesai. And it was like two years later, you know, we, we uh, Chris is like, hey, uh, Ryan, you look, your character look, or make a perception roll. I'm like, all right. And I made it. And he's like, look in the sky and you see a, a blood red moon. And it was like two years down the road. And I thought, you know, that he maybe forgot about this storyline. And, and then there's this blood red moon. And then, and then that night, uh, we're, we're, we're locked in, uh, uh, one character of her call had this. Uh, it was like this house that he made, Morden Kaiden's. What was that thing called? Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the it was the house that was created with a spell. Yeah, he had a spell was... to create this house, and there'd be like invisible servants in there that would give you massages and yeah. stuff. And and so we would go in there every night because you couldn't go in. No one could enter the house unless you let them in. Right. So we're in the middle of the night, and it's real windy out, and it's like a storm. And this this lady comes up to the door of this house, and and. And we won't let her in, but it's like it's like storming, so we started to feel bad. And there's something up with her eyes, like they like her eyes look like crescent moons or something. And she said her <laughs> name was Crescent, I think. Yeah. And so we had this long debate about should we let her in because we know these NPCs. Anytime an NPC approaches us, it's we should, we're always wary. <laughs> so so we decided to, to let her in, right? So we're talking to her, and I think probably the general was hitting on her. And then at like midnight, suddenly. She just morphs into this giant, like twelve foot demon in the right. middle of our of our right, and she couldn't have gotten into the house unless you let right. her. Right, we let her in, yeah. you know. And so th- suddenly, this character that I had written in my backstory, I'm confronted with like two years later. And what makes this story even funnier is, you know, he was coming for me, and I and I somehow talked this guy into. I think I used my fast talk. I convinced him to take somebody else instead of me. And he's like, I need a replacement. And so, and I, and I gave him the name of this NPC that was just annoying, this guy named Steltech. <laughs> so, so he, so the, the demon leaves. And then, and that just created another storyline because I think um, probably another six months later, suddenly Steltech reappears. He'd been missing mysteriously and he's got little horns right. on his head. <laughs> right. And that's, it's interesting and classic for many reasons, but. Most of all, it's because you are allowed to shape the right. future a little bit, not just with your backstory, but with. And I do remember that scene. You made some ridiculous role, or you did something yeah. that it, it's about respecting the dice too. If you do something, I'm planning on wiping out your group with this demon, or at least your character, to take you away. Um, but you know, you rolled your way out. You talked her out. Whatever you have to allow that to resolve that yeah. way. And you know, you guys did have hard times too, right? Where there were there was a lot of death, and you know, there were ways to get around that. That's the other thing I was going to bring up was 
a DM needs to decide what the death mechanic is. Yeah. If you're never afraid that your character is going to die, you'll just be continually reckless. And that ends up not being fun after a while. So there has to be an element of danger. And the way we resolve that is, you know, you could get resurrected, but it was going to cost you. It was going to, there'd be like a price to pay, whether it was monetary or whether you had to do some work. It was usually a, an, a really annoying mission you had to do for yeah. the cleric. Right. Which, um, and I think we should talk about that a little more because I think that was an interesting thing that I think we do, we did in our games that I really liked because I was all about developing my characters. I wanted them to be very interesting because originally when I got into role playing, I was trying to develop characters to eventually put in a book. Right. And so, like, Ramasai was supposed to be this villain, which he turned out not to really be a villain, but. He was more of a like a troublemaker than a villain. Right. Like I, I don't want my character to die and not be able to come back. So we almost always we always had a, a way to get resurrected, or you could choose to make a new character. But a lot of times we wouldn't do that. Right. And there's there's really two lines of thought on this. There's some people that are very hardcore. If you're dead, you're dead. Make a new character, and they run their campaigns that way. And then there's some that never let their characters die. They want them to be continually ongoing. <clears throat> the, the reality is it should be an option. I mean, if you want to do your dead, you're dead and make a new one, you should be allowed to do that. But at the same time, you can get really attached to a character and you have to have a little respect for this. If a player, you know, they, they really developed a storyline and then they had one bad luck where they made a bad role or they, they, fell over the ship into the sea and drowned or some some or someone some critically person. fails healing them and actually kills them yeah which happened a couple that's times that's right that's right the yep. first aid role right <laughs> yep yeah so you could try to bind a wound and make it worse and then kill the, the guy you know you don't want it to necessarily come to an end but at the same time there has to be a price to pay right the group it's going to cost the group you know you want me to raise this guy it's going to cost you you got to work for me for two weeks or something or yeah, do and, my missions. And not only that, it usually would take a significant portion of that game session just to get to that point of them being resurrected. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not easy to take a dead body, get to the cleric, have enough money to pay him, convince him to do it. Right. Uh, you know, all these different things. So it, it makes, again, it's creating content for the characters, creating uh, stuff for them to do. Uh, but it's, coming at a cost and it's kind of painful and it could derail them from what they're trying to accomplish. So that's where the cost comes in. Right. And the other interesting thing I wanted to point out, this is a little off topic, but it helps a lot with the preparation. This is something nobody else does that I know of. And that is recording the sessions. So this is something I did a long time ago. This was back before there was digital recordings and all that even. You know, I would record the sessions and and listen to them back because, well, a they're entertaining. If if you got a good group and you're having fun, they're they're fun to listen to. But but also as the DM, when you go back and listen again, there's things that you miss or things that you need to that it, it just helps jog your memory and shape your world. And as you're you're preparing for the next session while you're listening to the last one, you can jot notes down like, oh yeah. I forgot that um, Nick's character talked to what's-her-name, and that's going to make her go back to somebody else, and they're, they're going right. to start this rumor now that they're getting married. Yeah. And, and it just jogs your it, – it gets you thinking, you know, um, what, are, what, are, what are these NPCs doing? It, it's like a chessboard, and as the DM, you're moving all the pieces every between ses- between every session. You're going through your list of relevant NPCs, and you're moving them like like – 
play like got pieces on a board. Yeah. And you're moving them in according in accordance to what the group just did. You know what what has just changed. Right. And with you guys, it was a lot. You know, with you, you guys would interact with the world in, in a lot of different ways. And so, uh, like Princess Jenna would be bouncing from from town to town because of something that Koran was doing or whatever. So the the recording though, it's a, it sounds weird to do, but it's one of those things that whenever we invite new people to the group or we join other groups. You know, the, a lot of times they'll wind up doing it after we're gone. Like Tim's group does that now. Yeah, you know, they'll they'll set up the MP3 player and record it and listen listen back to it. Now, that doesn't lend itself well if you're doing a lot of rolling. If you're doing a lot of dice rolling, a lot of battling, dungeon crawls, and things like that, that's not fun to listen to later. You can always skip those. But the the character interaction and the the the, the relevant moves and a lot of the dialogue is really fun to listen to later. Yeah. Yeah, I've gone back and listened all the way through like a three-year campaign we did. I've I've listened to it twice all the way through. Yeah. I think I think Chris has listened to it even more than even that. Even more, yeah. And we've got we've had a couple of other ones that I've listened to um, at least uh, twice too, actually. So it, it's almost like listening to an audio book. Yeah, or a podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually um, it it doesn't seem as weird now. I don't think, but like when we when I first started playing. Chris was doing the recording with a boombox. He would bring this giant boombox on a cassette tape and yeah. record it. And then he would make copies of the cassettes and give them to us. And I still have all those. I have like a thing full of cassette tapes. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, you know, he eventually converted them to MP3s. And then the quality just got better and better. Like now, if we were to do it, we have these awesome microphones and stuff. Oh, yeah. I and mean, it would be like this amazing sounding quality. Uh, but it's, it is really fun as a player even just to go back. Because it... If you can't play in a role playing game, and this is what kind of happened to us, is we, we, we actually don't really role play anymore. But yeah. we, I can go back and listen to three years worth of role playing, and it's like you're there playing yeah, when you're listening. It's pretty fun. It's it's like you're reliving the whole thing, and it's it fills that void of not being able to play. Yeah, and we had that reunion game. Yeah, a couple of years ago, and it was, gosh, years since we quit. Yeah. Because everybody kind of scattered, and you know they had families, and we're we're doing board games, and not really doing the RPGs. But then we decided to get everybody back together again, and we played for a night. It was a lot of fun. And then adding those MP3s that were just yeah. classic onto the end, just yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun to do. It makes me want to do that again. I know it'd be fun to do that again. It would be fun to do. It Maybe again. we could post it on the on the as our podcast. We'd have to edit out a lot of bad words, so. though. <laughs> yeah, but it would it would be colorful for sure. Uh, so, did you have uh, anything else you wanted to add? Well, I, I think we hit on a lot of the, a lot of the the points. You know, you have your sidekick NPCs in your back pocket just in case. Um, you think think of the world more as a video and not a picture when you're preparing it. You know, a lot of DMs will think of it as this, this picture they're painting, where yeah. it's static. Got to think of it as always moving. Right, and you, you once you're comfortable with that, and you're confident enough to let the the players do things that you're not expecting, because you have things in your back pocket, and because you're so prepared that they can jump, they can jump on you. Um, it's so much more fun that way. That that's that's probably the number one lesson that I've learned in DMing. Yeah, and and I think what all this comes down to is fun. All these things that we're mentioning are what make the game fun, and a good DM makes the game fun, and that's really what we're getting at: is what is fun for the players and the DM both. The DM shouldn't do things that are just fun for the players, but aren't fun for the DM uh, themselves. 
because, and that might be the example that you're saying of just letting them really do whatever they wanted with no restraint. That wouldn't be fun for the DM at all. It might be fun for the players. Um, Only but, for a little bit. They would, they would tire of yeah, that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it has to be fun for everybody involved. And I, and I wanted to tell a quick story about um, how a DM has done this wrong uh, in, a, in a, a group that I was in. Uh, so we had this guy, I think his name was Brian, and uh, he was—he had this elaborate world that he created, which was cool, um, but he was very strict about what you could do in this world. And, and where this became frustrating for me was he asked us to write backstories for our character. So I, and, we, and we were able to create our character you know, using the rules of this game system. So I created my character the way I wanted, I, and the, the characters, it wasn't really a magical world, but you were, our characters were like mutants, so they, they could have some sort of mutation that was kind of um, uh, magical, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I created my guy, and then I wrote this elaborate backstory about my guy that explained all his mutations. I thought it was really cool. And I sent it to him, and he sent it back. He's like, oh, no, uh, your guy can't have this, uh, this specific mutation. You need to change that. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I, you know, I changed it a little bit, and and I and I rewrote part of it, and I sent it to him. No, sends it back. Not sorry that this is still your guy. This is too powerful. You can't you can't have this and that. And it went back and forth like this till my character just became this like putz. I couldn't even do anything I wanted, and I got so frustrated that I just wanted to just delete the whole story. Be like, just why don't you write my backstory? Since yeah. you seem to know how you want it to be. And, and he, it was just very controlling about what I could do. And it made, it made the whole process not fun anymore. Right. It's like, if, don't tell me that I can create my character and write my story. If When I do that, you're going to tell me that I created him wrong and that my story doesn't work. Yeah, I think that is probably more often than not that happens, where yeah. a lot of player creativity is stifled because the DM is a little bit uh, restrictive. And I think the restrictiveness comes from the insecurity of knowing that it's okay for the players to go a little bit crazy sometimes. Right. Let them have a little fun. Uh, just, just keep them reined in within reason. You know, uh, we, we have stories of when your character is getting whipped by the guards because you, you're smart enough to them. Right. Um, so you, you draw the, the lines with the law like that, but you still have to allow the character to do those things. Right. You know, if you want to smart off, let them smart off. If you want to have whatever your mutation is, let them have it. And then you can account for it in other ways in, in the game. Right. You know, like if you, if you had the, some, like you could resist fire, then maybe somebody else, they know about you and you're kind, and so they're coming up with a way to produce a fire that you can't resist. Right. But 99% of the time, you still have that ability. So you, there, there are things you can do like that. And sadly, I think that's, that's hard for a lot of DMs to overcome. Yeah, and I think the operative word that you, that you said is creativity. The DM obviously has to be creative, but you have to let the, the players be creative too because a role-playing game is a, it's an exercise of creativity. Right, but you, sometimes you have players who are not alpha players who don't have that desire. Right. There's really the two, two, the two main player types. You've got your alpha players and your kind of secondary players, and there's some in between, and there's a lot of gray area, but everybody has fun in a different way. And if the alpha players want to get out there and do stuff like that, let them do it. Right. I mean, there were times your character would go crazy and you tried to attack Stein or somebody powerful and you were delivered in a box back to the rest of the group. <laughs> but you still had fun that night because right. you were able to at least give it a shot. Right. So exactly. So th- there's always ways to 
you know, you can always overcome that kind of thing as a DM. You should still allow them to be creative. Yeah, there just has to be consequences. That's right. that's how it is. And you know, and I think one thing that was maybe hard for you as a DM sometimes is not making the consequences too severe. Because I think at times you didn't feel it was just like yeah. there's a sense of justice that you want to happen. Like if if my character is level five and he attacks like a level twenty five monk, my right. character should die. Right. Right. But there's a sense of justice that you want you want there to be a repercussions for that, but you can't be too severe right. on I, a player. I just didn't want you to even want to do that. Right. That that was really the problem. It's not that I wanted your character to die. I don't want you to think that that's that you should even be doing that. And there there's <laughs> Another guy in our game, Phil, who was notorious for that. You know, right. he went he went to attack Grotan that one time. Right, Grotan, a level thirty assassin. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things you just don't. Why are they doing this? Right. Is it like an ego thing? <laughs> and yeah, I'm asking myself, how do I make them stop? You know what it is though? It's just like you wanting Arras to roll the exposure die in Dead of Winter. In in the game Dead of Winter. If you remember, we talked about this last episode. Taking the risk. Yeah, it's the risk. Sometimes the players just want to take a risk and see what happens. Well, as long as they know, but it's not a 50-50 in, in these other cases, as long as they know that they are taking a risk and they shouldn't be doing it. Right. And they're okay with the consequences. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and again, there's always, you a good DM always leaves a way out. And I think that was something that uh, that you did well. Is you left a, a way out in most cases. Even no matter how deep we got ourselves into crap, there is some way to get out of it. It might be hard to figure out. Uh, it might take us a while. It we might go through a painful experience, but we'll get out of it somehow. There's always a, a way out, and so we're, you're not like railroading us into like this dead end, right? Yeah, and the the last thing I wanted to bring up is some DMs are better at some things. You know, we, everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. For example, Nick, one of the other guys we played with was really good at describing scenes. You know, you your characters walk into a tavern and it's, you know, the, the fire is glowing in the fireplace and somebody's playing an instrument in the corner and it's there's just a feeling of warmth. And he, he could paint this picture that I could never paint. Right. I mean, what I just did is probably as best as I could do, like on my best night. <laughs> that sounds kind of interesting. Actually. Yeah, but, but, but some people enjoy that and they like to do that. Whereas for other people, they're not as descriptive they're not as visual. Like me, I'm more dialogue driven, you know, uh, char- or action characters doing this, doing that. I-, I could I could have five different NPCs in the same scene, and I can segregate what they're doing, but I can't describe a room. Right. So there's different strengths and weaknesses you have. So I would play to your strengths too. That's the other thing is whatever you're good at, you know, try to focus on your energy on that. Yeah, because if you focus on something you're not good at, it's going to come through to the players. Yeah. Like if you tried to do that for real in a game, we, we'd just be looking at you with blank stares probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And then ultimately, it's going to give me anxiety because right. the next room you go into, you're going to expect the same thing. Right. And I don't, I don't know what it looks you're like. like uh, so there's a fireplace and <laughs> yeah. uh, some music in the corner. Yeah. And you see Maven. He's, he's here, too. And he's wondering what you're doing here, following him around. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, by the way, Maven is really a vampire. I just decided. Maven? Yeah. I thought vampires uh, got bought out by werewolves. <laughs> well, he's a werewolf then. Okay. No, he's a zombie. How about oh, that? Zombies took over. Gotcha. Well, I uh, I think that's all we had. Yeah, that's a wrap. So I told you it was a heavy topic. We hope you enjoyed our first role-playing topic. I definitely had a good time talking about it. It was a v- very fun. 
So uh, I think this is going to close out episode eight. So don't forget to join our guild, Guild 1990. Just go out to our website, outagamepodcast.com. Click the little Board Game Geek Dude, which will take you right to our guild where you can join. Um, or you can find us on Twitter. At OOG Podcast. Same thing on Facebook, although we're probably way more active on Twitter. And please email us a question at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll answer your question on the show. Everyone that asks us a question that we answer on the show is sitting at this table with us. We're right all now. here with us. Yep. So thanks everyone for joining. We hope you enjoyed it. And good night. Good night. Good night.